Thank you for checking out the City Church Podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know you are loved. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you. We are in part four of our series that we have called People Problems. And we have been looking at relationships all month long and trying to figure out so we can get better at relationships. And part of the issue with relationships, all of our relationships, is that there's two imperfect people on every side of every relationship. So it makes it hard. Marriage is hard because there's two imperfect people married. And it's parent and child relationship is hard because there's two imperfect people on either side of that. And work relationships are hard is because there's an imperfect boss and there's an imperfect employee. And, and down the line, any context of any relationship, it, it, there is, we have people problems. But the scripture has a lot of tremendous advice for us so that we can get better at relationships. And that should be our desire, is to not stay the same with our relationships. We should want to get better all of the time dealing with one another and uh, getting better just being together because God actually wants us to be with other people. So it's not an option for us to be alone. Scripture tells us it's not good for man to be alone. So even though if we've been hurt and we've been damaged in relationships, and all of us will be at some point, we don't want to retreat to our rooms and close the shades and say, I'm done with friendships or I'm done with whatever, that we want to dive back into friendships and relationships, and we know that God will help us to do that. So let's turn over in our Bibles this morning to Proverbs 27, verse 17. It says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So every relationship that we have, we should expect friction. That's what iron sharpening iron means. There's going to be some sparks that are going to fly because there's some rub, there's some uh, rough spots on you and there's some rough spots on me and those things are all going to get taken care of. They're going to get sharpened in the context of relationships. We, we can't just be jumping out of every relationship that's hard, that's difficult because there's too, many, there's too much friction going on. No, we're going to grow up in the context of those relationships. We're going we're gonna to get better iron sharpening iron. So that should be our expectation in every relationship that we have. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. And if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how... Can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So in every relationship, we need each other. I'll, I'll need you in certain relationship contexts, and you'll need me in certain relationship contexts. And, and that's the way we need to think about each other. We need each other. And then that last phrase, a three-fold cord is not quickly broken. That third cord in every relationship is God. And having the strength of God, the strength of God's wisdom, the strength of God's ways in every relationship, every friendship, every marriage, it will be strong. If we just try to do it in on our own, in our own strength, and our own wisdom, two imperfect people trying to figure it out, we will fail most of the time. But when we invite God into those relationships, we can succeed. And what we've been talking about every week is for us to have any long-term relationship of any kind, we're going to have to learn to be forgiving people. Because the people uh, that we're in relationship with, they're going to step outside of normal activity at some point. They're going to say the wrong thing or they're going to have a bad attitude and they're going to act in such a way 
that we didn't think they were going to act that way. We read, read a story uh, the first week that said, you know, uh, the one guy in the story was like, I thought that they would do this, and then they didn't do it, and then afterwards he was angry. And that's a great description for all of our people problems. We thought they were going to act like this, and they, we thought they were going to say this, and we thought they were going to have this attitude, and then they didn't. They had different behavior than what I expected, and then it's frustrating. We can be angry, and, and we can uh, face difficulty in our relationships, and, and right from the very first week, we talked about we're going to have to learn to forgive, and it's a daily practice. Forgiveness is a daily practice. It's in the Lord's Prayer for a reason. That it should be something that we do every day. And so in other words, those, those feelings of bitterness, those feelings of unforgiveness are going to rise up again, even though we've said, you know, Lord, I forgive them. And then the next morning we wake up and that feeling's there again and we have to say again, Lord, I forgive them. The daily practice of forgiveness. And forgiveness is actually all about me, helping me to live free of my past. That person may never come back to say, I'm sorry, or I'm sorry I did that, or I'm sorry I said that. But for me, I have to choose forgiveness. God wants us to choose forgiveness above the emotion of being hurt. We don't want to nurse our hurt or our offense the rest of our lives because then it just moves into bitterness. God wants us to choose to forgive. And then we talked about our offense cup. Do you remember that? How every week we could fill up our offense cup. But we said it's so much better to drink from the cup of forgiveness, the cup of forgiveness that God actually gives to us. It's the same cup that we should drink from as it relates to all of our relationships, not holding to offense in our lives. And then last week we talked about just, you know, Paul, he experienced this tremendous range of relationships. Some went well and some didn't go well. And ultimately, it is only God who can restore our hearts. So if you missed any of those messages the last three weeks, you can catch up on our website or through our podcast and then also through our church app. And we're going to continue on this morning uh, talking about something else. Uh, probably what I want to talk about today, you know, we've, we've talked about our relationships with each other in the context of uh, a local church or with each other or within marriages. And what I want to talk about today is our relationship with people who don't go to church. And us as a church family, what should be our attitude? Because I want us to be the type of church that is a welcoming church. I want us to be the type of church that somebody who's far from God can show up here on a Sunday morning and be invited closer to Jesus, to be in, invited to know Jesus. And all of us have a part to play with that, uh, with our attitudes that we have towards people or bringing someone to church who's far from God. Don't we want that? Come on now, don't we want that? Don't we want to be the type of place that if somebody is broken or struggling or is having a difficult time or maybe someone who's really not that interested in God and then someone just invites them. We, we want to be the type of church where people can actually find and discover that type of relationship that they can know God for themselves because we know firsthand that following Jesus actually is a good thing. It actually helps my life. It, it, it's a beautiful thing to know God and have this relationship with God. So we want to be the type of church that says, hey, come on out. We're, we're, we're not a closed family. We're a family that's open up and we've opened our arms and we want new family members to come in. And so that's, it's a really important thing for us to think about. So when, we, when we're here in the context of the local church, we're, we're okay that our church grows, Right? We're okay that somebody might sit in our favorite seat. 
on a Sunday morning, somebody who's far from God, and they show up and they sit in our favorite seat, and they didn't know it was our favorite seat. We're going to be okay with that, right? That should be our desire. That should be our heart's desire. So we want to just look at this relationship, because historically, and if we think about it like this, you know, there's not necessarily a good relationship between sometimes how the church thinks about people outside of the church, or how people outside of the church think about the church. Would you agree? I, I think we could say that that is true, and, and that, that struggle ha has been real for a, a long time. But God wants us to have certain attitudes and certain thoughts to think about people outside of the church and certain ways for us to act as it relates to people outside of the church because we want to be that type of community that somebody can actually find a relationship with God. So let's turn over to 1 Peter this morning, chapter 2, and we're going to read some things here relating to our relationship with people outside of the church. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, But you talking about you who are followers of Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Now that's good news for us, right? That's a good reminder for us relating to our identity in Christ. But potentially when we read those words, we can think very highly of ourselves that I am God's special possession. And so it could produce in us an arrogant attitude since I have a relationship with God and I'm God's special possession and I am royalty in the kingdom of God, we potentially could look down on people who don't go to church and who aren't interested in Jesus or who, who are just struggling in life. But this is not in there so that we can get an arrogant attitude. It's helping us to realize the spiritual truth so that we can act a certain way. Let's read about it. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That God calls us into the light. That light will make a difference in the darkness. The light in you, that the Christ light in you is going to make a difference in somebody's dark life. In other words, somebody's life who's struggling. They're going through a hard time. Somebody who's far from God. The light of Christ in you can make a difference in someone else's life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. So we're, we're saved individually, but then God calls us into the family of God, into the local church. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. So in other words, our, our ultimate home is in the kingdom of God. And so we are foreigners, foreigners, our exiles here in the world now. And then verse 12 says this, live such good lives among the pagans. Now, the word pagan, once again, is not a condescending word. It just means people who don't have a relationship with God. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So what will people who don't have a covenant with God, what will make a difference about you? is when they see you do something. Now, for those of us that follow Jesus, we are enamored with our beliefs. We believe certain things. And I will have 
hours of discussions about things that I believe about the scripture and theology and all these different things. But people outside of the church are not impressed with our beliefs. Can I get an amen? They aren't. They're not that excited about what we say we believe. But what Peter is saying, they're going to see something we do and it's going to make a difference. So the actions that we take actually are going to be meaningful in somebody's life. Somebody who doesn't agree with what we believe, but they will see something we do that we're going to live such a good life. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean material things. Could mean that. But it's more has to do with the attitudes of our heart. The words that we say, the actions that we take. That we would live a good life, that we would live differently, and we would be doing things that would make a difference in someone else's life. Verse 13, here's some of the ways we're going to do that. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor or as the supreme authority. So one of the ways Peter is saying for us to live good lives is that we are going to be submissive to authority. Now, a good way for us, uh, uh, parents of children, that you would teach your children to respect their teachers. Is anybody in church this morning? So how you talk about teachers or how you talk in front of your children about people who are in authority whether it's their teachers, whether it's the police, whether it's governmental officials, that one of the ways that we're going to live and some of the ways that we're going to act, that are, we're going to stand out, is that we are going to be submissive to authority. And that's a blessing to everybody's life today. Or to the governors who are sent by him, verse 14, to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. For it is God's will by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people by doing good. So we can make a difference in our community. We can make a difference in the lives of people who are far from God by doing good things. Live as free people, verse 16. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as slaves to God. So we're seeing ourselves as submitted to God. The relationship that we have that's the most important relationship is the life that I live for God. I'm yielding myself to God. And one of the things that's important to do is helping somebody who's far from God to actually move into a relationship with God. So I'm not going to use my freedom in Christ just to, you know, go crazy with my desires. No, I'm actually going to make a difference in someone else's life. Verse 17, show proper respect to everyone. Everybody say everyone. That includes people that you disagree with. This is becoming a lost art in our society. To show respect for someone that you disagree with. Maybe politically. You can have, listen, you can have a respectful conversation with somebody that you disagree with. Is anybody in the room today? Show respect for everyone. And why, why should we give respect to people? Because they are image bearers of God, even if it is a broken image. That, that we're going to show respect to people, that everybody, even though we are a high priest and a royal priesthood, God's chosen vessels, man, we should just respect every person. Why? Because God is actually interested in that person's life. Did you know that? 
that God is interested in the person's life that you don't like. God doesn't hate the people you hate if you happen to hate anybody. God's not against the people that you're against. So that we hear, doesn't, listen, doesn't mean, listen, it's not the same, do you, I agree with everybody. No, 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 I'm not saying, because you're not going to agree with everybody, right? But we're going to show respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor, once again, honoring authority. So we have this idea, once again, we've talked about in this series, dealing with one another, but now dealing with people, or our actions, or attitudes, people outside of the church. So we're going to turn this morning uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at a tremendous story that helps us differentiate attitudes and actions that we would take with people inside of the church, and then attitudes and actions that we would have with people outside of the church, because it isn't the same, and Paul is going to help us with these uh, contextual ideas. Now, I'm going to set up this story like this. Andre, can you stand up for me for a second? Andre and I, yeah, you know Andre, I always use you. So Andre and I are friends. So well, a couple things that Andre and I have in common is that we're imperfect husbands and fathers, even though he's a little less imperfect than me. <laughs> Another thing that I know that him and I have in common is that we love our families. Another thing that we are certain about is that Michael Jordan is the best basketball player in history. There's no arguments from younger people about LeBron. Nobody cares. MJ, for sure. But the thing that Andre and I have the most, you can sit down, my friend, is that we want to follow Jesus. We have something in common right at the base level of our lives. We want to follow Jesus. And all of those things that I talked about, about being a good but imperfect dad and wanting to be a good but imperfect husband, all of that comes from the basis of our relationship with God. Now, if Andre were to show up, his lovely wife, Michelle, sitting beside him today, if next, now this is not going to happen. This is just hypothetical, okay? If Andre shows up next week with another woman, this is hypothetical, okay? <laughs> and he's got his arm around her, and I'm like preaching, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's not Michelle. I just want it, this is not going to happen. But I'd be like, hey, see you next week, amen. I'd be like, Andre, hey, we need to talk. <laughs> and what, what would the conversation be like? I'd be like, dude, what's happening? And he'd be like, well, Michelle, blah, 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 and I brought this girl. And I'd be like, this is not a good situation. <laughs> Why? Because we have a commonality. We have a foundation of our lives that we say we follow Jesus. So him and I could have a discussion about don't mess up your life, don't mess up your family. We could have a discussion based on this idea that we follow Jesus. Now, if there was someone else to show up next week that I don't know who is not a Christ follower at all, not interested in God, someone invited them to church, and they show up to church in the same adulterous situation, would I actually have a commonality to go to that person be like, hey, dude, you say you follow Jesus. They'd be like, no, I don't. I'd be like, okay, I hope you enjoy church. <laughs> I invite you to know Jesus because if you know Jesus, then you and I can have a discussion. Do you see how those two things would be different? Come on now, those would be two different things. 
because this other person that doesn't know God, I don't actually have a, the basis of a foundation of a conversation about how they're living their life. So hold all those thoughts in your head, and we're going to read this portion of Scripture here, 1 Corinthians. Andre's a good guy. He's not cheating on his wife. It's just, I just like to use him with illustrations. Michael Jordan forever. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. So Paul is going to deal with the situation here that's happening in the Corinthian church. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. So in other words, people who don't have a covenant with God, they're not like for this either. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now this is not his mother. Because that would be like a whole other conversation. But his stepmom. So we don't know if his, uh, we don't know exactly what the story is, but this, the, the father either remarried, his first wife died, or they got divorced, and now he, he's either passed away or they're divorced, and now this young man is hooking up <laughs> with this woman who used to be his stepmom. And first of all, ooh, And, you know, once again, if this guy is saying he's a follower of Jesus, he'd be like, dude, I mean, the first man, like, can't you find somebody younger? That would be the first thing that I would say if we were friends. You know what I'm saying? Because we're friends. But what's going on in the church? The church is like, hey, you know, this is not a big deal. He's there, and he's hooked up with his stepmom. And Paul's like, this is not a good situation for the church. Do you understand that notion? That someone who is living in, an, in, in a sinful way, and they're like, it's not just like, a, you know, they made a mistake and they needed forgiveness. We're like, this is what I am doing. This is how I'm living my life. Paul, as a leader in the church, is like, this is not good for the church. Now, I could make up some stories there, but I'm not going to. Okay, and then he says this. And you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? It's like, this is, not, you got, this is not conducive to a, a group of people say that they're following Jesus. This guy who says he's following Jesus, but then is just living a completely different life. For my part, even though I'm not physically present, I am with you in spirit as the one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has been doing this. Passed judgment just means to decide. It doesn't mean that Paul is saying this guy is going to hell. No people get to choose that. Are you with me this morning? You don't get to choose if somebody goes to hell. Now, you might be angry at somebody and say to somebody, go to hell. But you don't actually have that power. Paul is not saying that. doesn't have that power, but let's continue to reading. So when you're assembled, I'm with you in spirit. The power of the Lord Jesus is present. Verse 5, listen to this. This is a verse you can discuss at lunchtime. Hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now, somebody, you're, you're thinking about somebody you don't like, and you're like, how do I hand them over to Satan? How do, how do I actually, where do I sign up to do this? Because I need to do this with somebody. Now, it's not that, you know, it's not like, 
Paul is like, hey, Satan. is like, this is not what's happening. What, 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 all he's meaning is sending him out to the world. And the scripture tells us the enemy, the devil, is the small g, God of the world. He's just like, we're putting, you know, just go out to the world. If you don't want to live according to the teachings of the scripture, just, just go out to the world. And then he says, so, so he will be saved in the day, in the end times. So it's not, we're not trying to condemn somebody to hell. That's not what Paul is saying. That, what is it? So that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now listen. This is a great portion of scripture. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? In other words, somebody who's just like constantly sinning, once again, not a one-time thing, you make a mistake, forgive me, but someone who's just like constantly over and over again, that's, that somehow we would condone it and think it's okay. It's like, no, that's going to that's gonna mess up the community of believers. Could you see how that could happen? That's what he's talking about here. He said, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be new and leavened bashed as you really are for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with old leavened bread with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter. Now listen. This is really important. How about we're differentiating about how we would act and think and talk to somebody who has the basis of saying, I follow Jesus, and somebody who doesn't. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Listen, not at all meaning the people of this world. who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. So what is he talking about? He's like, well, you know, somebody who says they follow Jesus and then they just act like they don't, you know, and you've talked to them and they're like, no, this is just how I'm going to live and blah, blah, blah. It's like, don't hang out with that person. But then he says, I'm not talking about the people in the world who are sexually immoral. Otherwise... You'd have to leave the planet. Bible humor. Well, there are all of these things. Because, other, because we, couldn't, we couldn't hang out anywhere then. So he's differentiating these two things, these two different types of people. But listen to what he says. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer or a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. They claim to be our brother or sister. Because somebody that's my brother or sister, or a, a friend that I would have, that says they follow Jesus, that person and I can have a conversation based on following Jesus, based on the scripture. And then if like, no, I don't care anymore, and blah, 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 be like, sorry, we can't hang out anymore. But then he says this, verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Listen, this will set you free. What business is it of mine, Paul, the Apostle Paul, to make a judgment on somebody who's outside of the church, somebody who doesn't say they follow Jesus? What business is it of mine? And this phrase would help the church from pastors going on news programs and moralizing about the world. 
and this sin is wrong, and this sin is wrong. But hey, but if, the, if, listen, if somebody doesn't have the foundation of the Scripture or following Jesus, I mean, they've got a version of moral relativity going on in their life, and they're just going to side based on whatever. But Paul is saying, what business is it of mine to judge people outside of the church? It's a totally different thing. This first guy, someone who says they are brother and sister, we're going to deal with that person in a very specific way. But somebody outside of the church, I'm not going to bother judging them. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So quit judging them. Is anybody in the room this morning? God will judge the people outside of the church. We don't have to be angry about how people are sinning in the world. We're going to let God work it out. God will judge those outside of the church. Expel the wicked person from among you. Do you see it? It's two, different, it's two totally different things. Very context-specific. See, in what we've done some context, we as the church, all we've offered the world is moral behavior, our superior moralizing. And let me just say this, and I'm going to say it once to confirm what I, I believe the morality taught in the scripture is the highest morality. I think everybody should live a moral life. It is better for you to live a moral life than an immoral life. So, do you hear what I said? But there's no good for us to offer the world, here is our moral behavior for you. Let me impose it upon you. What we need to offer the world is grace. We need to get people close to Jesus. Because when we get somebody close to Jesus, when we get somebody in a relationship with Jesus, in that context of grace, God will sanctify them change them just like he's changing you. But we just can't preach from our high horse or our morality is better than your morality. It's like that conversation could go on and on and on. But what we do have that's different is Jesus. I got to get somebody to Jesus. I, we have to get people to Jesus to that grace, to that love, to that gift. And then God will clean them up just like he's cleaning you and me up. Come on now. But how's that going to happen? It's going to happen in the context of a relationship with God. Do you remember the prophet Jonah in the Old Testament? The, Jonah was the reluctant prophet. And, you know, whenever we think about Jonah, we think, you know, he was in the belly of the fish for three days, and, and then we get, you know, sidetracked on the fish. And can, can somebody live inside of the fish for three? This is not the point of the story of Jonah, all right? The, the story of Jonah is about Jonah being sent by God to Nineveh. And Jonah didn't like the Ninevites, didn't want to go, not a fan. And so instead of going to Nineveh, he went to Tarshish. Now, Nineveh is in modern-day Iraq. Tarshish is in Spain, 2,500 miles away. This is how much Jonah did not like the Ninevites. He's like, you're sending me where? No, I'm going to Spain. I don't like these people. 
I don't like them. I don't like what they do. I don't like what they stand for. And the full fish things happen. And then so Jonah eventually goes and he preaches to the Ninevites. And then the people in Nineveh repent. Chapter 3 is all about them repenting. And then chapter 4 gets down to the issue with Jonah. Let's read it here. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly that what happened? That the people in Nineveh repented. Why? Because he doesn't like the people in Nineveh. The people you don't like, God loves. He sent him there. I want you to go there. I want you to reach those people. And then he was able to reach them for God, and then, he, and then Jonah was angry. Verse 3, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is it not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee Tarshish, for I knew that you are great, a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Why was Jonah angry? Because God gave mercy to the people Jonah didn't like. Who are those people in your brain? Let's pause for a second. Let's think about it. Those people could be a thousand different things. Could be a politi you know, political party you don't like. <laughs> those people. People that you are frustrated with, angry with, people you don't like. God's not going there with you. God's not angry at them like you are. And God is actually sending you. And he's sending me to potentially people that I might not have a lot in common with. But the thing that I know to be true is that God loves them. And Jonah was upset about this. See, God, I knew that you would give them mercy. See, but this is the thing that we should actually want. We should actually want the worst possible sinner to come to know God. We should actually want the person who is in the darkest place in life. We should want them to know God because God's love is for them not just for me. Skip down to verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do not be angry for the plan. And he said, yes, I will be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plan, which you did not labor, which you did not make it grow which came into being a night and perished in a night. Verse 11, and God asked Jonah this question. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the right hand from their left and also much cattle? God loves the cows too. But what did he say about Nineveh? 120,000 people, and he called it a great city full of people that were far from him. And, that, and what does he say? Somebody doesn't know their right hand from their left. In other words, their lives are just a mess. 
And, and he's saying to Jonah, should I not love the city, Jonah, just because you don't love the city? Now, the point of the story is that we should change our heart to be like the heart of God. Jonah's like, I, I don't want to go. I don't like these people. I don't like what they do. I don't like how they act. Blah, blah, blah. X, Y, Z. Reasons why I measure someone and why I don't like them. See, part of what we read in the other story is that we could actually stop measuring people. We're going to let God judge somebody outside of the church. I don't have to measure them. I should take on the heart that God has for them, for the people in our city, in Mississauga or Brampton or Milton or Etobicoke. That God actually has a heart and he says he loves the city. It doesn't just mean the geography. He loves the people in the city and he's interested in them and he wants them. He wants to have a relationship with them. Not because he's disgusted with them. It's because he loves them just like he loves you. Just like you were given grace. Just like you were invited in. Man, and this needs to be our heart. As a church, as a community of faith, we need to be interested in the people that God is interested in and God is interested in all of the people. Last verses here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, verse 14, sorry. Christ, love, compels us. So what are we supposed to be compelled by? Christ's love. Christ's love should supersede, I don't like so-and-so. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. That those who should live no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. So I'm not looking at somebody from a worldly point of view measuring what they're doing or not doing. What do I get to do? I get to love them. I don't, have to, I, don't, I don't have to measure somebody who's outside of the church and decide whatever their sin level is. No, his love compels us. Because we believe something to be true, we believe something to be true for us, and then we believe something to be true for other people. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave it to us. That what? We're not busy judging the world. We're busy loving the world. Why? Because God has provided reconciliation for all. Listen, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. So we should stop. 
we should stop counting them. Well, they're doing this wrong and they're doing this wrong and they're doing this wrong. Well, what do they need? We need to get them to Jesus. We need to get them to the Lord. He's the one that's going to change them. He's the one that's going to cause them to be a new creation. It is not our moralizing. It is not our moralizing. It is not our superior thoughts or morality. It's not going to change them. We got to get them to Jesus. And the good news is God is not mad at you. He's not holding your sins against you. God has done something in Christ because he loves you, not because he hates you. He's interested in your life. He's not trying to damage your life. This is the good news. And this is the thing we want to talk about. This is why we would want to invite somebody to church who's far from God. He's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. Everybody say through us. What appeal is God making through us? That his love is compelling us. His love is the thing that moves us to care about an individual who was far from God, not measuring their sin. What do we need to do? We, just, we need to get them to Jesus. This, this relationship will change your life. God is interested in your life. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, the ultimate problem with people is that God is desperately in love with all people. And we, we can't have a negative attitude towards people. We can't be angry at those people outside of the church. Man, God wants us to love them. He wants to do something through us, through me, through you, through the church. Let's just pray this morning. Thank you for your support. If you want to connect with us, you can find us online at thecitychurch.ca.